Welcome to the EchoCast, episode 39. If you're new to the podcast, I'm Bond Diesel. If you've been here before, you're a gracious person. Thank you very much for coming back. I can't explain it, but I do appreciate it. This is a podcast that mostly focuses on The Division and the upcoming Division 2 game by Ubisoft. Or Ubisoft. Or with a silent U, Bsoft. Whatever you prefer. That said, uh, in a previous episode, I said I had no idea how long the episode would be. I was afraid I wouldn't have enough to talk about, and I believe I rambled on for nearly an hour, which is about twice the normal length of this podcast. So this time, four real Zs. I don't think this is going to be very long. Um, but who knows? I've got some rant material. So maybe I will I will rant on. Um, starting off with content updates. So, uh, if you didn't know this, I took um, last weekend off. Uh, to play the technical alpha and due to an NDA that is about all I'm gonna say about that Uh, I do feel bad taking that time off Um, support has been really awesome lately especially considering I've basically gone back to just playing the division Um, I understand that not everyone's still excited to watch that game at this point Um, so you know it was a bummer taking that weekend off but it was um, obviously it was a. Um, <laughs> I don't know. How, I don't know if I'm allowed to say my enjoyment of it or not. <laughs> but it was. It was worth it to take a little time off and, and check that out and um, try to give some feedback and, and and say the things and so on. So, other than that, you may have seen on Twitter that I got a cooler master a CPU cooler. I was actually planning on trying to overclock my CPU a little bit. Um, Long story short, I ended up not um, installing it because I would have had to have removed the motherboard to put a bracket behind the motherboard. And if you don't know, I actually am using a highly modified Dell XPS computer that uh, taking apart and uh, especially removing the motherboard um, those those things are meant to go together and not come apart you can't remove the back side of the case to get access to the back of the motherboard it's actually riveted in Uh, there may be a way to pop it off but honestly um, it's in good shape and it works so um, my my cpu temps are pretty reasonable anyways so i'm not um I, i may still try to boost it just a little bit maybe get myself up a little a little but uh yeah so that that failed that's not happening maybe one day here in the next year or two i may upgrade to a new computer um we we shall see save the game recap this section should sound familiar no stay of the game uh something to keep in mind is that i'm recording this podcast on saturday evening in the united states uh, I believe the entire Division 2 staff, everyone from top to bottom, um, is on vacation. 
uh, from, I believe, Thursday or Friday, I assume until the new year. So don't expect anything coming up, you know, over around Christmas. It's not going to happen. Um, I would honestly barely expect to see any updates or anything. Uh, maybe a cool surprise like beta announcement or something around Christmas. That would be rather neat, but I'm not going to count on it. I would assume complete radio silence until the new year. That said, I am going to reiterate the way I have in the last few podcasts to the lovely people who are willing to listen to me every week. We need clarification on the stash box, what the additional activities are on the season pass, and things like the PC anti-cheat and things like that. It needs to happen. And, and I'm not even being salty about it. I personally am rather confident that it's going to be handled correctly. Um, these are the type of things that it's not even hype building. It's it's uh, hype allowing to give these kind of details. Um, if people aren't worried about what the season pass is, and if they aren't worried about you know, additional activities and, you know, if people feel comfortable not getting the season pass and and feeling like they won't be screwed completely, that's not a bad thing. I know a significant number of people who really want to pre-order the division, but they're scared to because they're scared that there's going to be something shady in it or that there's going to be something silly. I don't think the stash space is going to matter. I'm sure the additional activities may be neat for people who have them, but won't be game breakers for those who don't. I assume they've made advancements on the anti-cheat and other things that people care about. The problem is is that not everyone is as uh, glass half full as I am, and they don't have to be. I completely understand if they're not. A lot of people felt screwed over by Division 1. I stuck with it. I kept playing it because it satisfied something a game never had for me. But not everyone's the same as me. Not everyone likes the game as much as I do or was willing to stick with it the way I did. And that's okay. Uh, Those are the people you're going to have to win back. Uh, For this game to be successful, those people who felt screwed by the first game are the ones who are going to need to feel comfortable about this game. So, releasing that information uh, would really help with that. Um, It would give the people making crappy, stupid videos, uh, speculating about things and feeding a... Uh, a group or a minority of the people involved in the community of this game um, you you would you would put an end to a lot of silliness and you would probably get a crap ton of new pre-orders um, and, and, and and such from people who are worried about things that probably won't be a problem so just let us have it don't wait till the last minute it's only gonna keep coming back up that said division news this may be a salt-filled podcast this week. <laughs> um, it's Christmas week. No one's probably going to listen anyway, so it's all good. The the Mountain Dew promotion. <laughs> so we now pre-order drinks from PepsiCo to play in the beta for Division 2. Okay, so let me get a few uh, summer summarizations few summaries off my back here. Uh, first, let me clarify what this is because I've noticed that people seem to be confused. You don't have to get this. You don't have to pre-order Mountain Dew in order to play in the closed beta. Now let me clarify. 
we're expecting the private beta, the one that comes with the pre-orders for the game, in January. I think it's been assumed that the closed beta that people signed up for for free around E3, that the closed beta would probably be in February. And that's going to be for everyone who's in the private beta and for people who signed up around E3 and even today. Um, I'll try to link the, uh, the the beta sign up. You can do it right now if you want. And I have a, a slight suspicion that almost everyone who signs up for that is probably going to get in. I think it's easy to assume that both of these betas are essentially going to be demos. Um, I'm sure they're going to get valuable information from them, especially balancing, but mostly stress tests for the servers. Um, see kind of how people are going to break the game and you know if there's relatively easy things to fix, they'll fix them before release. Um, but there's two betas that we know of right now. There's a private beta first, that's for pre-orders, and there's a closed beta second. This Mountain Dew promotion is for the private beta, for the first one. So I think people were confused in thinking that you had to do this pre-order um, to, to get a free code for the closed beta. That's not true. Um, this is for the private beta. So what it is, is if you don't want to pre-order the game for $60 or more, and instead you want to play in the private beta, if you want to spend 20 bucks on a 12-pack of energy drinks from Pepsi that are Mountain Dew energy drinks, you can do it that way. One thing to realize, you need to read the fine print. Only the first 10,000 pre-orders get a code. And what they're also doing, it appears that they're handing out 40,000 codes in store at Walmarts that you can um, get for free, it appeared. Um, they're going to be doing like samples or something, and you can get a code for free. So there's a decent chance you can just go to Walmart and ask for a code. Don't hold me to that. The details didn't seem super clear in the fine print, but that's the way it read. So they're, um, you know, this thing's so dumb. The thing is, is that it just kind of, it, it, it's sort of an is what it is thing. Um, Ubisoft does this with other games. I believe, I want to say Assassin's Creed had some deal with some food product. Call of Duty always does it. Battlefield does it, I believe. I know I've seen all kinds of codes. I think Halo has always done it. Um, I get that it's dumb, but you know, there's, there's, you know, this has just been another opportunity for you know sensational people to tee off and uh, you know pretend like everyone's you know about to be enslaved because Ubisoft made a deal with PepsiCo. Like it's two giant corporations making a marketing deal. Yeah, it's lame. Yeah, it's dumb. I don't encourage people to do it. If you want to, whatever. It's your money, you know. But, you know, the, the, at the same time, you've, you've got people like Jim Sterling and stuff who, um, you know, saw a ripe opportunity to complain about something. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Just please never stop remembering that people like Jim Sterling have just as much invested in controversy as Ubisoft does in making more money. You know, it's a different level of money. I'm not saying that people like that make as much money as Ubisoft. They obviously don't. But there definitely is a financial incentive to sensationalize what may be otherwise not that big of a deal situations. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I misinterpret him and other people and that they purely have the player at heart. They don't make any money. They donate every penny from their videos. 
that they have nothing invested, they have nothing to gain from sensationalizing things in all kinds of video games, obviously not just The Division, um, but uh, this is one of those ones where, especially if you watch some of the videos, it's just, uh, it's grasping, at least in my opinion. Uh, now, if they pop out and you can buy a new gun in Division 2 that one-shots everyone and you have to pay 20 bucks for it, uh, then put me on the train. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to rant. I'll be ready to throw everything down, smash all the walls, call Ubisoft a bunch of crappy corporate thugs and whatever. But I'm not going to get upset over what's a dumb but not that groundbreaking of a corporate deal between two giant corporations. I think what's tough is that with the division, um, whether you, you actually interact with them or not, we get a lot of access to a lot of the people involved in the game. We have all of the community devs, we have community managers, we've got Petter and Yannick and Amper and Johan and all these people. A bunch of the devs are very accessible. You've got Frederick, you've got Terry, you've got Taylor, you've got all kinds of people who are very accessible. And so you start to feel like, you know, when this stuff happens, those are the ones you think of and that those are who you blame. Those guys don't have anything to do with this. They don't even care. They, they would probably prefer if this stuff didn't exist because it just makes their job harder. But beyond that, I think sometimes we start to forget that while we have these, um, this closeness to some of these people, you forget that they still work for the biggest or the second biggest corporation in the world when it comes to video games. Ubisoft, out of all of the major AAA companies, appears to be one of the better run ones and one of the, you know, the less scummy or the less greasy of them. Um, but it still doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean that they don't intend to make money. They obviously do. And deals like this, um, I, I think, are kind of ludicrous. They're kind of silly, especially when you think about the idea of pre-ordering soda. But just don't do it. <laughs> if you think it's dumb, then don't participate. Uh, I, I suggest voting with your dollars. The same way I've said, if you are worried about division, don't pre-order it. The same way I've said, you know, I, I just... I think it's interesting that one, the silliness of pre-ordering soda involving a video game, and two, people getting so upset about uh, that silly thing. But I'll leave it there. I've probably ranted about that long enough. Honestly, to me, it just seems, it, I, I think at least Ubisoft's being honest about what they're doing. They're just trying to make some money. <laughs> I'm sure they have some deal with Pepsi. Um, and people need to realize, too, that with this free DLC we're getting and what looks like pretty minimal uh, advantages with the season pass, they're going to make that money somehow. So instead of doing a season pass that splits the player base, maybe they're going to do some deals with Pepsi. And maybe they're gonna seem really lame and stupid and ridiculous and obnoxious. And they it's fair to think that they are. I think it is. But maybe it's the way that they're gonna justify not charging us and splitting the player base. I don't know. I'm gonna get called a shill either way. So <laughs> at some point I just uh, kind of close my ears and smile and move on. Uh, just remember, you're in charge of your happiness and how upset you want to be about things. 
Uh, so if you want to choose to be upset about soda pop, go nuts. I will um, I will patiently wait for more uh, worthy things to be upset about. So there's that. Uh, for the speculation discussion this week, I well I'll start with this. Stone Mills left me a um, a a book of sorts. <laughs> a uh, it, but it was good stuff um, on the sit rep on the bullets and beer discord. Um, he left me some thoughts and ideas for things to chat about. Um, his first point was kind of talking a little bit about hoping that the last two shields, the audio that goes along with them, um, has some significance to the division two. Um, a few of a few of these shield audio logs have been really cool, um, but about a half of them have been kind of like neat but kind of dumb. <laughs> Uh, I, I really was hoping that these would tell some very clear story um, from the first one to the last one uh, that, that's supposed to build some tension and give us something interesting to look forward to at Division 2. And instead, they've just kind of been scattered and odd. Um, they're cool. There's definitely some neat stuff to them. Um, and I think that after Division 2 comes out, the shields may have more significance once we know more about Division 2. Um, and the story and, and so on. But yeah, I really hope these two really bring it. I would love if the last one was straight from Keener, him saying, well, I can't, you know, can't wait to see you and your friends in DC, or something like that. I think that'd be pretty neat. Um, but, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I, I will have hope though. Um, his uh, next point was talking about how cool it would be if in February or the first week of March or something there was some something some kind of little update in Division One that would have some kind of significance for Division Two. So um, the radio recordings that we hear with the West Side Pier messages, um, the the secret mission, um, all those things would be kind of neat if they updated those. I agree, that'd be really cool. I'm gonna be straight up. I'm not anticipating that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but I'd be more than happy to be wrong and to uh, and, and to get some of that information. That'd be neat. Um, he talked about some kind of like supply drops or something that would have like the DC crest on them or something just to kind of, uh, you know, that last month or two, people could wear some cool cosmetics that are, you know, have something to do with uh, DC or Washington or uh, I, I, as much as I would love that. <laughs> I, I genuinely think that'd be sweet. Um, I'm not expecting Division One to get anything significant ever again, um, and and that's okay. I'm not mad about that. I get it. You know, it's not. I've said a lot that there's a lot more I wish that would have come of Division One. Um, a lot of the things we're seeing in Division Two seem like completions of Division One, uh, which will be interesting to see, like the betas and the final release and see all of that. I've been saying for a while, for months now, that I think Division 2 is going to be um, what they initially intended Division 1 to be and more. I think a, a lot of those ideas you saw in those 2013 trailers and stuff will show up and, um, and, and then some. So, I, um, yeah, I would love something, some kind of cool little thing like that to pop up in Division 1 uh, next month or in February, just to kind of, as a nice little send-off but I'm not going to hold my breath, if, if I have to be honest. Uh, the last thing he kind of chatted about was just asking about like the kind of the uh, the logistics 
of you know how would these agents even get to DC? So what we know or what we've assumed is that there's um, the Westside Pier mission and those two audio logs that you um, had to grind resistance for in the Westside Piers um, kind of give this this idea, and and, and it's kind of been uh, confirmed by the trailers and stuff like that for Division Two that uh, basically things have gotten so bad across the world that they've initiated this Omega protocol, I believe, that's calling all of the agents who are still living back to their headquarters. So it seems like in the eastern or northeastern United States, they're being called to DC. Uh, I believe in the southeast, they're being called back to New Orleans, in the west, to up to places like Seattle. Uh, I want to say London, England was one of the cities mentioned in the West Side Pier um, secret mission, uh, which lends us another thing Stone Mills talked about was leading us to believe that uh, you know the, the division agents aren't United States only, um, but I I suspect they're controlled by the United States. I don't know. That's one of those things I bet we're gonna learn a lot about here in a couple months. So one of the things that Stone Mills brought up was. Well, how in the world do these people, how are they going to go like from New York City to D.C.? Um, well, I'll look it up here, you know, in the middle of uh, in the middle of this. So that's um, it's 220 miles. So if you think about, you know, if agents are being called from New York to D.C., um, you know, by car, it's a, you know, just a few hour drive, uh, four hours. But who's to say any of the highways are clear? Who's to say there's any way to get them there? I mean, in theory, maybe they could helicopter them there. Maybe that's going to be part of the story. Maybe they're going to arrive in different ways. Uh, maybe some will walk. Uh, if they're coming from places, um, you know, like in Pennsylvania or things like that, maybe they're a little closer. Uh, you know, Richmond is, you know, kind of a similar distance, but south, about half the distance away. Um, I think that is kind of interesting. Uh, a point that Stone Mills brought up was that, you know, after World War II, places like Japan basically shut down their borders so they could spend time just fixing and, and trying to rebuild and, and get everything together, thinking that, you know, essentially that's what's going to have to happen after this whole crisis is over. Uh, maybe that seems completely reasonable. The, the thing I think we may find in Division 2, um, and I'm going to make very clear that I, I intentionally ignored any anything that could spoil anything so far with division two when it comes to the story i um i i have a feeling that we're gonna find that that this that the you know the this, the first virus and this initial um crisis isn't the the last of the concerns that i suspect that division two is gonna deal with you know, maybe a second crisis of some type, a second disease or something that very well may permanently end, you know, society as we know it. Um, by the end of Division One, I, I think we could find that a lot of infrastructure was still in in place, getting things like the you know the power plant going again, and there's a lot about Division One that gives you reason to believe that maybe things can go back to normal one day. Um, but I think that Division 2 may lead us to some point where we have to consider that, you know, we've we've re-entered into some kind of dark age. 
um, whether it's because of the number of people who have died, the infrastructure that's been destroyed or dilapidated. And uh, I don't know, we'll have to see. But yeah, the whole idea of how the agents get there and, and what the purpose is going to be when they get there, why they're being called back to these headquarter areas. Uh, I think we're just going to have to wait to wait to see. Um, the last thing I was going to talk about fairly quickly was uh, I did a Guns I Want video um, a while back. I'll try to link it in whatever way you're watching this or listening to this. And um, I saw some talk uh, between Eidolon Fox and Frederick and some other people about the AN-94. So what I figured is I would go through this list and pick out a few guns that I'm still really, really, really hoping we get in Division 2. So the AN-94 is one I really want. Um, if, you, if you aren't much of a gun person, the AN-94 is a Russian firearm that it kind of looks like a AK-47, uh, guns that people are fairly familiar with. Um, the weird thing about the AN-94 is there, there, was a, there was a time, and it still exists, there's still some looking into this, where militaries wanted to be able to give the average foot soldier the ability to lay as much uh, as much firepower into an area as quickly as possible and as accurately as possible. So a big problem with like fully automatic guns, whether you've watched too many movies or not, is that with like a fully automatic gun, if you just hold down the trigger, um, you probably are going to miss what you're trying to hit. Uh, fully automatic fire for the most part is very inaccurate, especially fired from like a, a rifle or something like that. So the AN-94 tried to work on that by essentially firing two bullets at the exact same time. The whole idea with the AN-94 was that it would fire two bullets so fast that when you pulled the trigger before you felt the recoil from the first bullet, it would fire a second bullet. So you would have two bullets flying at the same target at once, and then you would feel the recoil. And the way it accomplished this was by some really funky technology uh, and, and some fairly unreliable technology where the barrel, when you fire the gun, actually moves back and picks up a second round and fires it kind of in one motion. And um, needless to say, I'm not under the impression it was a super successful gun, but when it comes to video games, this sounds like the coolest thing on earth. So they were kind of talking about it being like an exotic or something. My idea with it would be that the AN-94 would essentially be a semi-auto gun, but it would have higher damage, lower mag capacity because you're firing two bullets at once, uh, and maybe like some extreme kick or something, some really bad um, recoil to you know keep it from being too powerful. Um, some of the other guns I'm really hoping to see, the AK-12 and the uh, RPK-16, those are the most modern, you know, as far as I know, AK-47 variants. Um, basically, they're just very uh, modern. You know, They have all the rails and all the attachments. I believe the AK-74 and the, and the AKM in Division 1 um, is, is relatively similar. But this is, you know, if you look at the pictures comparing all of them, the AK-12 and RPK-16 are definitely... You know, you can tell they just, even if they just look more modern, that's, um, I think that'd just be neat. Um, the AUG is a gun we had in Division 1, but it was the SMG conversion to paratrooper conversion, which I found through some research to actually be exceedingly rare, um, but still cool. I'm, I think it's neat that we had it, 
But the AUG, the Steyr AUG, is actually one of my favorite rifles, assault rifles. It's a bullpup rifle, uh, similar to like the MDR or the FAMAS that we should be familiar with, also known as the Bullfrog. And uh, I just think it'd be cool to get the rifle variant as well. I think I would love to see something like that. Um, the HK-433 is a Heckler & Koch weapon that, uh, it's a German uh, assault rifle. Uh, it's just a really cool looking gun, very modern, very new. Um, it's supposed to be kind of a successor to the G36, even though the G36 is still a relatively uh, highly used weapon and a very uh, good weapon still. Um, the IWI Tavor, uh, it's an Israeli uh, bullpup rifle. It's just so freaking cool looking. Um, if you've played a modern military game like Battlefield 3 and 4, I believe, I mean, you would know this gun if you saw it. Um, I just think it's, you know, it, a lot of this just comes down to me just thinking some of these guns are kind of cool looking uh, and having very little reason beyond that. Uh, the Glock 17, I would love to see a Glock in Division 2. Um, I am under the impression with Division 1, there were some licensing issues. Uh, and Glock is very weird about their guns being in games uh, because, um, and even as someone who is a relatively liberal person here in the United States, uh, I have a weird uh, situation where I also grew up uh, owning and shooting guns uh, and uh, have a weird mix of, I think guns are super cool and fun. Uh, and I also realize how insanely dangerous they are and how most of the people uh, who own them probably don't aren't really super prepared to do that, but that's they're right, and that's a whole different discussion. Regardless, to me, I find it kind of funny that a gun company uh, doesn't like the idea of their guns being in games killing people, <laughs> uh, just because it seems a little um, a little tone deaf, uh, especially from a gun company who equips a large number of um, police and military, uh, but. What do I know? I'm silly. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see Glocks. They're just an iconic gun and they could do some really cool stuff with them. There's fully automatic Glocks. There's 45 caliber Glocks. There's nine caliber Glocks. There's, you know, they could have a few different variants um, and it would just be, it'd be neat. There's even, you could even have like an exotic one because some Glocks can be highly modified to be, you know, borderline marksman guns. They're, they're very versatile and I would love to see them. The KSG is a shotgun that instead of, um, it's a bullpup, kind of, where, uh, you know, if you look at the shotguns in Division 1, the Super 90, the 870, and things like that, they have a, uh, they have a tube underneath the barrel that holds all of the extra rounds, and when you pump the shotgun, or the firing mechanism, pulls one out from the tube, puts it in the barrel, fires it, and ejects it. So the, the, the KSG is a pump shotgun, but instead of one tube under the barrel, it has two. They're side by side. And uh, this is a shotgun that can hold 15 rounds. Um, and because of its bullpup design, has a very long barrel. Uh, and the way these tubes work is you can actually put different rounds in each tube and switch to the one that you want. So the KSG to me actually has a lot of potential to potentially be some kind of exotic where you can pick if you want like slug rounds or buckshot. Uh, the slug rounds could do a ton of damage but be you know hard to hit because it's only one round. And then the buckshot could do a, a little less damage but it's easier to use. I think that'd be kind of neat to have that ability to switch. Um, 
and it's just a really cool looking gun. Again, we're coming back to that. Uh, the Evo 3 is a submachine gun that a lot of people would be familiar with. Calling it a submachine gun is is true, I think, but it, it runs a weird round. Um, it's it's uh, the bullet it uses. It kind of looks like a mini rifle round, um, and so uh, it's kind of a unique story. But basically, if you played any modern shooter game in the last 15 years i believe even the rainbow six vegas games had this gun in it um all kinds of guns uh, games have had this gun and uh, one we get back to it, it's just kind of cool looking um but it's also um it, it's it's a neat little versatile gun and it could work as kind of like a like a low slash medium range gun in division two uh, the p90 is in a similar vein there this is kind of a fan favorite that everyone's been screaming for forever cough cough uber timmy cough 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 and he uh you know i've i've kind of poked fun at these people um because i keep telling them the p90 is in the game it's just on the sensor turret and uh people don't like that <laughs> People don't like that uh, that explanation. So, um, I think it'd be cool if we got the P90. I believe Frederick has confirmed this gun um, in the, the stay of the game after the weapons uh, dev blog that we got. Uh, the P90 is kind of cool too because it's similar to the Evo where I believe it also fires uh, kind of a, a non-standard uh, bullet where it again looks almost like a little rifle bullet um, or rifle shell and bullet but it's not it's it's very much smaller so it kind of has like a dual utility type of thing the final gun in that video i talked about was the mp5k so this is a really old gun this is not a new gun by any standard um, but if you saw a picture of this gun we you know you know that we had the mp5 and division one a couple different variants but the mp5k is like a very compact version and um I just think it'd be really cool. Again, we get back to this. It's just a cool looking game gun. Uh, back in the original Rainbow Six, I remember playing with um, the MP5K was one of my favorite guns in that game. Uh, so was the UMP and a bunch of other ones. But um, this is, uh, I think it'd just be really neat to have that that gun available. So, so there's that. So however long this has been, I did it. And I hopefully gave a few of you guys something to listen to during this christmas week and leading up to new year's um that's all i have for now i'm probably just gonna leave it there uh if this was a little more ranty than normal when talking about the stash box and the mountain dew and and, and the stuff uh i guess i'm sorry but at this point i assume you're uh, expecting that and um yeah but as always i am trying to keep it uh calm cool and collected as we uh as we've talked about before so if you have any questions for future episodes, check out Twitter or Discord. Link should be in the description. If you want to discuss this episode or previous episodes, there is a room in my Discord. You can check that link out. Um, you can pick up the EchoCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Um, you can support uh, the podcast or me or whatever through Anchor as a supporter or on Twitch as a sub uh, or with bits or tips. Don't feel obligated. Nothing is ever required. I am more than happy to never get a single thing from anyone. But if you're willing to help out, help me justify this time I spend on this stuff. You know, give me more ability to do more of this and increase the quality of it. I do sincerely appreciate it. If you want to find me on Twitter, YouTube, or Twitch, I am Bond Diesel. 
If you want to find me on Instagram, I am bondiesel underscore twitch. That's what I've got. Thank you again if you're new. Thank you especially if you're coming back. And uh, with that said, until next time.